heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. You know, I was just thinking as I was just talking to our guest today and a producer and was just saying, you know, thinking to myself, it's a great life if you don't weaken. Hmm. You know, it's a lesson I learned to this young boy, actually. It's a great life if you don't weaken. I think my grandfather told me that or somewhere on that area. But uh, and it is a great life. And we're not going to weaken, my fellow Americans. So we're going to fight forward for liberty and justice for all, for sure. Now, talking about liberty and justice, you see this story on the uh, 120 retired flag officers uh, warning that the United States is under assault. Uh, well, of course, we all knew that already, didn't we? Sure we did. So, I mean, that wasn't too much of a revelation to us. We do feel and we do know and we can see the policies that we are under assault right now. So these uh, flag officers that were warning that the U.S. is under assault, let's talk about that to start this program. Because I want to talk about false flags today. I want to talk about the Marxist left. And want to talk about some solutions, some, some ideas, some thoughts on potentially how to fix this. And it's actually, it, it's fascinating. It's, it's exciting to me as well. It's an opportunity, really, to get it right. Uh, so I want to talk about that with you today as well. These uh, flag officers, and again, these are senior officers in the military. When we say flag officers, these are generals, lieutenant generals, uh, brigadier generals, uh, you know, the various uh, services, uh, to give you a concept there. Uh, and they warned in a letter, just, just recent here, this was on May 10th, by the way, this letter uh, this year, that the country is in deep peril and under tremendous assault from those that believe in socialism and Marxism. Now, the takeaway from that is it gets my attention, deep peril and tremendous assault. I mean, that's not a casual statement, right? They say we are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. They slammed the Biden administration, by the way, for acting in a dictatorial manner by bypassing Congress with more than 50 executive orders. And that number is far more than that now uh, in reversing these Trump administration policies. And uh, they blasted the excessive lockdowns, the school and business closures. You know, we've all seen that the hijacking of our economy, a decimating of small business, the, the, the work engine of the uh, nation. And of course, they even mentioned the censorship that we're all seeing an experience of written and verbal expression as direct assaults, they say, on Americans' fundamental rights. You know, we're seeing that censoring a lot. It's, it's, not, it's not casual what's happening here. These oligarchs really are empowered and they're not hiding it either. And they just come on and say, well, we're not going to give Trump his rights back. No, we're not going to give this person their rights back. No, we're going to censor that video. No, we don't like that school teacher or that mom for expressing her real thoughts. I mean, who the hell do these people think they are? 
Well, I'll tell you who they are. They're they're business people who own their enterprises. They're privately run businesses. They're not monopolized. They are monopolized, but they're not controlled or run by anyone else. And they're privately held and they can do what the hell they want to do, obviously, until they're told otherwise. And, you know, a lot of a lot of that's happening now where the right and conservatives are finally getting involved with some of the social media. But people, they, they built these programs, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of, these started 20 years ago. I mean, you know, these new ones that are just coming off the ground, they're not going to happen in a month or two or a few weeks. going to take time. It's going to take time. I don't know how long. I don't even know if there'll be enough time for them to get in there to save all this censoring and in free speech. But, you know, these people are obviously empowered, right? So they call China the greatest external threat to America. We've been talking about this for some time. And they said establishing cooperative relations with the Chinese Communist Party emboldens them to continue progress toward world domination, militarily, economically, politically, and technologically. They said stopping the Keystone Pipeline eliminates our recently established energy independence and causes us to be energy dependent on nations not friendly to us. Well, this was always the oxymoron. I mean, this was ridiculous that we were beholden to our enemies in the Middle East. How, how crazy was this? I mean, Trump's seen that from his corporate boardrooms in New York, people. And he put a stop to it. He said, we're not going to have that. Well, that's, just, uh, that's just a good American principle to say that we want to control our own destiny. I mean, but you need a businessman out of New York to figure that out, right? The political buffoons in Washington can't tie their shoes, shoelaces, to tell us that. It uh, should be obvious, right? Uh, they argued that the military should not be used as political pawns. Oh, you mean all this stuff about woke? And they, remember, oh, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago or something. They were talk, We talked about it on air here. They were talking about uh, one of the newfangled things in military about your hairdo. Something about they were arguing about hairstyle or something in the military. I mean, this is beyond woke. This is in the stupid farm, you know, the political left. Just remember, they control right now our federal government, our largest state governments. I mean, you think of clearly New York, California. I mean, these are big, big pieces of our country, very clearly. Uh, the mainstream media, the megaphone to our society. And when I say the megaphone, I'm talking like I always tell you, the newspapers, the television, uh, the all of it, social media oligarchs, all of that stuff is all left. I mean, the right's been asleep for 25, 30 years while these people put everything up. Uh, our schools, our universities, everything that's press related. I mean, they own the entire megaphone to society and they're teaching your kids. Oh, how stupid was this? Talk about giving the, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, leaving all your fortune on your, on your desk or your table, kitchen table, leaving the door unlocked and leaving for 20 years and coming back and expecting it to be there. Now, how stupid were we to do all this? I mean, listen, Zeal, the only thing the left really doesn't own is it, it, and this is accurate about, about half the state governments. Uh, and uh, at the moment, and I say a moment, it's hanging by a thread, is this Supreme Court, which is a laughing stock as well. And that's a whole nother point there. But uh, and, and the left, they, you know what they want to do with the Supreme Court, actually, they have a study right now, they're studying that how to how to take that over. So there's your recipe right there for disaster. You've got military leaders and flag officers coming out and saying, hey, you've got a problem here, you know? 
Now we see all of this and the way society is right now, and that's a problem. And then you have the Marxist left and the, the Biden. And Biden was a very unassuming fellow, like I say, an older gentleman, really can't do much harm. He's the perfect clown or puppet to put in there for any purpose. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, he's not, what's, and he's like, you're, like you said, you're annoying uncle. Uh, your annoying uncle or your whatever, some crazy neighbor or grandfather that hardly ever paid attention. Ain't going to do much harm until he sets the house on fire and burns everybody down. Shit, then, you know, you got a problem. Well, that's what we got here right now with Biden and Kamala Kamala. You see? Anyways, let's get to the point here. Let me bring on a gentleman here that's... Um, uh, really has become a, he's a new writer on the platform at America Out Loud, and he has always some very interesting pieces. I, I, I love essays that make you think. I just love things that are just outside the lines a little bit. I, I was always one of those kids who colored outside the lines, you know. I thought my stuff looked like a piece of art. <laughs> uh, but I was always coloring outside lines all my life. And uh, he's kind of one of these kind of cats, I think. And he's, he thinks a little bit outside. And that's really what we need is problem solving. Is you've got to think outside the boundaries a little bit. Uh, but I'd like you to meet today. Wallace Garneau is here. And uh, Wallace is a veteran in the Marines and Army. He spent 23 years as e-commerce manager, IT manager, director of business systems for a whole host of medium, large manufacturing companies. He's a political writer, blogger, uh, really an essayist. Uh, author of a book that's entitled The Way Forward, Lean Leadership and Systems Thinking for Large and Small Businesses. That book is available anywhere books are sold, but also it's in the America Out Loud bookstore. That link is at americaoutloud.com, right in that right column, the bells and whistles column, I call it. You'll find it in there and you can find Wallace's book uh, in there as well. Wallace, welcome to The Voice of a Nation, sir. Thank you, Malcolm. It's great to be here. So we're talking about in this very, you have a couple of very interesting pieces. I'm going to tear these things apart here just shortly. And the one piece, the first one you wrote uh, was really cool. America 2.0, rule of the hard left. Yeah. And, yeah. and in that piece, you say this, and I, I want to open that up a little bit, but you say the ultimate goal of the hard left is the utter destruction of the United States. And with Democrats taking charge of the presidency in both houses of Congress, the beginning of the end is at hand. When you woke up on January 20th, the United States of America was fundamentally a different country than it had been the day before. Explain that to listeners, please, what we're talking about. Well, the day before uh, January 20th, or up until really the, the inauguration happened on January 20th, Donald Trump was still our president. And Donald Trump may not always be the nicest guy on Twitter. I mean, I know there are some issues there in terms of some of the things that he would say or whatever, but he was a constitutional person. He did believe in following the United States Constitution. He believed in interpreting the United States Constitution legitimately based upon what it says. And uh, Biden isn't really running anything. Biden, as you said, is a puppet or a, or a figurehead. Uh, he can barely string together two sentences. So uh, somebody, I think uh, the former the former uh, Secretary of State under under Trump, actually said Susan Rice is running the country. 
And it's a very, very radical approach that the people on the left are utilizing to, to run the country. And what I wanted to do with that article is I wanted to say, let's assume for a moment that they're able to do what they want, that there's not enough opposition to slow them down or to stop them. Where are they going with this? And so I wrote uh, what I think is a very truthful and a very accurate assessment of what rule by the hard left would look like, you know, where we're heading and, and, and how, we're, how we're going to get there. And I think it's accurate. I think that uh, the people who read it will have to agree with it. I think people on the left would look at it and say, "Yeah, that's what we want." I, I think it. You know, people are going to say, are going to say that I'm I'm making a straw man argument, but I'm not. I, I think I faithfully gave mm-hmm. where they want the country to go, and it is a fundamentally different vision for what America should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's there's the catch right there. A fundamental difference on what America should be. And that that should be an alarm for everybody. That's an alarm bell, people. So in other words, they're taking our country in a whole different area. It's more of a U-turn kind of thing. I mean, listen, we're only 245 years into this experiment, really. And uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll, you know, get another 245 months at this point if we don't start fixing stuff quick. Well, listen, um, so here's what I wanna do. My goal here, Wallace, is to educate folks uh, and, uh, there, it's easy to lose. There's so much information out there and it's hard to, you know, part of the problem we're having here, it's hard to get folks' attention on these kinds of big debates and discussions because people are busy living their lives and dealing with their own issues and challenges, let alone the countries. Uh, so our goal is to keep it simple, break it down and explain it. Now you, you have three particular areas I really want to focus on. And what I want you to do out there is follow along here and just Grab a point or two you can grab onto from each of these, please, because this is all going to build to a bigger moment when we get to a crescendo uh, part of the conversation. You you talk about here climate alarmism. Okay, that's number one here. You talk about uh, economic uh, activism is another. And then a third is critical race theory. Now, these are all hot buttons right now. But this is all part of this false flag sort of takeover. And there's a whole bunch more than that. But these are three you point out. Let's start with climate alarmism, Wallace. And you say here, uh, and and let me just uh, preface it this way. The the estimated cost of Biden's clean energy, clean energy solution is two trillion a year, which we will pay through energy taxes. Now, the whole argument about fossil fuels and, and carbon is a, is a crooked argument to begin with, because without using fossil fuels without carbon, we would cease to exist here on the planet. And a lot of people, we actually, I have scientists on the platform who actually tell you right out, we need more of it, not less. The hell are you talking about? These people are running around with their hair on fire. And of course, they, they in Wallace, they get on their big jets, they get on their big stuff, their big houses. They, they have no concern for, because it's, it's, is this argument really about climate with these people? It can't be. There are only two possible technologies that we have today that would address uh, the CO2 issue, if, if it were an issue that would, that would be able to, to reduce our CO2 emissions by enough to make their goals. One of those is nuclear, which the Green New Deal expressly forbids. And the other one is natural gas, which we're doing everything we can now to make more expensive in the hopes of moving away from it to so-called renewable energy sources. Now, if you're going to ban the only two technologies that can solve what you're causing or you're calling a problem, then how can you truly say that you're trying to solve the problem at all? Uh, they're not using they're not using climate alarmism as a problem to solve. If they solve the problem, it goes away, and we can move back into a free market economy. Now, let me ask they're you this: is a bludgeon? 
If we do that, what they suggest, what you just say there, if we did that, wouldn't that put us back in the Stone Age? Well, it would. It would. The fact of the matter is that we don't have anywhere near enough mining capabilities with, with lithium, for example, to even build the solar panels or the, or the wind turbines that they want us to run our economy on. It's just, it's, the, the ability to do that, it's, it's, it's fictional. It's a pipe dream. It'll never happen. Although I do have an idea for you. Now, see if you like this. If we took the beltway of Washington, D.C., and we put all the wind turbines right around that beltway, all that sucking hot air coming out of D.C. with the political buffoons, that would certainly power the whole country, wouldn't it? It certainly might, yes. That's funny. (laughs) Well, that's my idea, man. That's got to work. But anyways, so this whole thing, now, you you also say here, it's important, and I love this. uh, 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 This is what I love about your pieces. You you hammer it home, and then you get to this point. This is another one of those aha moments. It says here, it's important that the reader understand exactly what I'm saying. Well, that caught my attention. We said, well, yeah, I want to understand what you're saying. You said, we're going to pay two trillion in taxes a year just to make energy prohibitively expensive using energy sources that are unreliable and that burn more fossil fuels than using fossil fuels would burn. And it's a really crazy story, isn't it? Does that make sense? It certainly is. And it's ironically, Michael Moore, you know, somebody the right normally doesn't get along with, made a movie about how, about how inefficient these, these supposed so-called renewable sources are. They actually use more fossil fuels than just burning fossil fuels would use. Yeah, Dr. Jay Lair, uh, scientist, and Tom Harris talk about what you just said. And when you put that in your article, I chuckled inside, Wallace, because I knew it was true, uh, because all the scientists have talked about it. And they actually, uh, and it, it was it was a real eye-opener when the right people like this, conser- a constitutionalist, I knew something was weird about the whole argument when they started a- applauding Michael Moore. I said, what the hell is going on with that? I had to go look at the movie, you know? Yeah, he's only right in the first half of the movie. In the second half of the movie, he becomes even more alarmist than he is in the first half of the movie. Essentially, what Michael Moore says is that we're going to spend $2 trillion in order to make energy prohibitively expensive, and it's going to make the problem worse. So once we've spent $2 trillion and made our our homes unaffordable, we're going to have to spend trillions upon trillions of more dollars trying to reduce the CO2 levels that went up because of green energy. Now, you say something there. I want to ask you, in your opinion... I'm wondering, a guy like Michael Moore, and there's a lot of cats like this. So using him as an example in this particular case, I mean, he's making a lot of money. He's doing these films. He's out there as a megaphone to the crazy left. Um, so I'm wondering a guy like this, is he just anti-American? Is he anti-energy? Is he anti-liberty? Is he anti-what? The guy, is he like, well, I always wonder, Wallace, where's a guy's IQ like this? Like, is it a lack of IQ? Is he really, really smart and just really trying to screw his one over the cuckoo's nest? Or is he is he really just a, a, a dumb fox and he doesn't really understand the intellect of the conversation we're talking about? Or does he just wish to have harm on the country? Or is he a disciple of Satan? Uh, which of those levers would you pull? Well, I'm not sure those things are all mutually exclusive. I think, <laughs> I think he kind of answered that question himself when he made his first movie, you know, meeting uh, Mr. Smith or whatever it was called, the chairman of, G, of, of General Motors at the time. He yeah. made this whole movie about how GM was doing all these terrible things and, and laying people off and what have you. And he wanted to meet and have a conversation with him about that. And the chairman of GM, of course, was unwilling to meet with him. But one of the people that he interviewed in that movie or for that movie that never made it into the movie was the person he was making the movie about not being able to get an appointment with. He actually met with the chairman of, of, of General Motors in making that movie and then just pretended it never happened. So he's clearly dishonest. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my sense for sure. But intelligently uh, dishonest. Intelligently dishonest. I'll give you that. But I also am not so sure he's not a, 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 a disciple of Satan as well. There's a lot of evil running around the planet here. You know that. You know, Satan spawns regularly. He, he does indeed. And uh, oh, boy. All right. So the climate alarmism thing. Uh, I mean, there still are a lot of people who really believe that we can control the climate. Now, this is a planet that has developed over millions and millions of years. There's no doubt in my mind, Wallace, that this planet Earth was a gift uh, and an experiment from God Almighty uh, to this uh, species, uh, what's supposed to be the highest species on the animal chain, the human being. And I'm, I'm not so sure some days we qualify for that, Wallace, to be honest with you. But let's say that is the case. And, you know, now all of a sudden we've evolved to where we're at now. And now we think we're going to wake up and change the planet. And we've got to, you know, we're not going to be able to control the climate. They went from global warming because we're not warming anymore. We really are cool and we're coming into an ice age. It's what's happening. It's going to be a mini ice age ahead. The scientists talk about that all the time on our network. So they had to drop the global warming thing. And now it's, you know, climate change. And then there are other words they're using. So how do we get people to understand and I guess a lot of people don't really want to understand this, that this is a fool's game controlling the climate, isn't it? Well, it absolutely is. If you look at the actual literature, if you read the actual studies that are out there, and many of them are publicly available, if you actually look at the hard data itself, one of the things that is crystal clear is that mankind's impact on the climate, while it's real, it's, it's very, very localized, and it tends to be very, very temporary. You know, you build a city, it's all concrete. That will be a little bit warmer than the area around the city that's not all concrete. But that's just a localized effect. That's not affecting the climate of the, of, of the earth. It's just affecting, you know, Detroit's going to be a couple of, of temperatures uh, warmer than the area around Detroit or Chicago or whatever. Cities are warmer than country. It's just because of concrete. So those are the kinds of impacts that man has on the climate. And, and that's all it is. Even smog in L.A. It was, was around L.A. You get out of L.A., you get out of the smog. And we've cleaned that up. The environment of the United States is cleaner than it's, than it's ever been. It's cleaner than it was before we got here. Right. And right. people overlook that entirely. Right. And at the same time, if you want to start getting you know, guilty as charged, China is beyond abusing any of this. And they get a free pass with all of it. And the whole Paris Agreement is an absolute joke. We're the ones who are putting all the money in. And China's got... What do you think it's like in a in a uh, a boardroom of the Communist uh, Chinese Party, the CCP? What, what what do you think they're saying to themselves when they're inside of a room like that with this kind of a talk here? I think the way that dictatorships are normally run, everybody in the room says whatever they think Xi Jinping wants to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's how you survive in that boardroom. Sure, in, indeed. Um, you also see these latest comments from the Pope. Uh, he's looking for, and this is a very controversial pope, um, he's uh, calling for a new ecological approach to transform the way humans inhabit uh, our world, our lifestyles, our relationships uh, with the earth's resources, and in general, our way of seeing human beings and living life. So he's talking about a response to the cry of the earth. And again, this is where he's getting religion involved in all of this uh, climate change stuff. Um, what, what, what's your take on, you have any comments on that and why the Pope puts his, um, you know, uh, opinion into something like this? 
Absolutely. He was raised as a socialist. He, he holds those beliefs very, very dearly. I think of all the people out that are spewing uh, socialist or communist ideology. Now, some people are true believers. Trotsky, for example, is the true believer in the Soviet Union. I think the Pope is one of those that truly, honestly believes that that's what we need to do. And when we get to true believers, now these people will go far further than Stalin had a stopgap and that he knew what he was doing was wrong. And so that would, would slightly slow him down in doing terrible things. But the Pope doesn't have a stopgap. Trotsky, had he come into power, he had no stopgap. There was absolutely, he thought he was morally justified in killing as many people as it took. So I think what the Pope is looking at, and this gets into the economic activism, the thought is that there are not enough natural resources to go around. Everybody on earth cannot be as wealthy as the United States is. And as a consequence, what we have to do is we have to radically reduce the material earnings, the material lifestyles of the people in the United States in order to get our country down to a level that the rest of the world can live at. The belief is the natural resource to do it just simply don't exist. And even if they did exist, we would destroy the earth trying to, to cultivate them, trying to, to, to bring those natural resources out where we can use them. So the idea is that we have to have everybody on earth only have the bare minimum that they need to survive. And, and we can give that hopefully to everybody. Uh, they're not even sure about that. You hear people like Bill Gates talking about reducing the world population by billions of people. So this is, this is you know, absolutely nightmarish stuff. Yeah, we're now crossing over in what Wallace is talking about here, listeners, to be clear, is economic activism. That's what we're talking about now. So you kind of get the beer minimum and everybody's got to be equal, uh, except everybody's really not equal because the people at the top, that's what socialism and communism, Marxism is. It, that is really what they can they always accuse the right of being, that's who they are actually. They're not for the middle class at all. They're for the haves and have nots. Isn't that the descriptive of what this Marxism is, Wallace? Of course it is. And one of the things you notice about all communist countries is that the communist leadership aren't poor. And one of the beautiful things about identity politics, and I say beautiful in a very negative, you know, evil sort of way, but one of the beautiful things about identity politics is by focusing on groups rather than on individuals, uh, the people in power can make rules that they don't have to follow themselves. So they can say, for example, everybody has to have only the bare minimum they need to survive, except us. We're going to live in absolute opulence. And that's what you see time and time again in countries that utilize those, those economic systems and political systems. Which is why every, that's why every one of you have seen governors, mayors called out for telling everybody to wear a mask and then she, Pelosi's at the salon with no mask on in the height of the pandemic, by the way, you remember that? And all of these cases of that. And so do what we say and not what we do. And then they're at the fancy opulent uh, restaurants and hotels and living their life, traveling, remember all the travel? I mean, all that stuff was, it was crazy, but that was all really, that's what you're speaking about right there. Uh, that's a perfect case. That's where this is kind of all uh, sort of an appetizer, an entree way. This COVID thing has been a real hell of an experiment for our country to see how many sheeple would go along with the with with the rulers. Do you think? I think it's. I think it absolutely is. I mean, what is what better virtue signaling than a mask? You put a mask on your face, and and you know what a perfect way to just to just to display your willingness to follow a totalitarian state. But I think it's more than that. I look at the timing of, of COVID nineteen, and it's it's highly suspect. Uh, we know for a fact, for example, that China shut down travel between Wuhan and the rest of China while doing everything they could to encourage travel between Wuhan and the rest of the world. Yeah. That's a smoking gun. 
whether this escaped from a lab, whether it was a biological weapon that was released intentionally, whatever it was when it started, China weaponized it as soon as they knew that it was out there. And of course, they did that in election year. We then made election changes in order to ensure that Joe Biden became president of the United States. Those changes were illegal. You know, only a state legislature can make changes. And we were having governors and secretaries of states of different states making those changes without going through their state legislatures. Time Magazine ran an article where they came right out and said, yeah, we threw the election, but we didn't do it to destroy democracy. We did it to fortify democracy. Yeah. We had to fortify democracy against the wishes of the American people. And if that sounds like doublespeak, it is. Here's why. Uh, what you just explained is perfect. Just as well said. And here, here's why. This is Really, the, this was the finishing touch, what you're speaking about right now with the China, the election, the COVID, the, the timing, the handiness of all of it. It was the finishing act, the final act, actually, of the coup d'etat. That's what it was. All of that four years they spent with every which way to try to remove Trump, the nemesis from office, for, what, for whatever, they tried every way. There was never a peaceful moment where Trump woke up in the White House and put his arms up like this here and stretched and you ought to say, oh, I got no worries today. There's nobody after me and I'm president of the United States. What a beautiful day. He could never say that on any particular, he might've said it in some way as a positive thinker, but there was always somebody after his ass uh, when he was president of the United States from moment before he even entered the White House to the very end. And so that, what you just described right there, Wallace, is the finish to the coup d'etat. That was the final act to remove him from office. Well, understand, too, the reason that they had to remove him from office. I mean, the Viterol there, it was, a lot of people find it hard to understand. I don't. Barack Obama was supposed to be kind of a transitionary president that was going to set us up for Hillary Clinton's vision. And for those who don't know, Hillary Clinton wrote her uh, dissertation, in her college dissertation, on taking Saul Alinsky's rules from radicals and rather than applying them against government from the outside, she wanted to get as deep into government as she could, the presidency ideally, and then utilize rules for radicals to destroy the United States from within. So Barack Obama was the setup guy that was going to put in place all of the tools and techniques for her to be able to do that. And then it was going to transition over to her and she was going to be the major implementer of change. She finally fulfilled that vision, destroying the country from within. And uh, well, then she lost the election. And those that had that vision, those that, and you have to, before you can build something new, you have to destroy what's already there. So the idea of destroying the United States, that's a precursor to, to, to changing us to a very different country. Mm -hmm. And when Donald Trump became president, you know, he ran on make America great again. Well, if you want to destroy America, that is the exact opposite of what you want to do. And then he started to undo and unravel many of the things that Obama had done. So the political left found it absolutely necessary to do whatever it took to ensure that they got one of their people in again before Trump could do too much what they consider damage by, by making America strong. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, typically, if you look at America over the last 30, 40 years, there's a corrective measure in place. It's like driving your car down the highway. You go too far to the left, it corrects itself. The alignment brings it back more closer to the center. Goes too far to the right, corrective measure back to the center of the highway. So think of it as we're driving down the boulevard of life. That's the way I see it. And there's been a mechanism to sort of keep America on some sort of a straight and narrow, continuing the path forward. 
but now it went so far to the left under Barack Obama, those eight years of the push to Marxism and the people he put into, that was the problem Trump had, Wallace, was a lot of the people that he put into office through, and I'm talking about the, the bureaucrats, uh, through the government agencies, really the cancer to our entire system. And I have ideas on how to change that for this country as well. We'll talk about sometime, Wallace. Uh, but that part of the program I see is a real issue. And Trump, uh, uh, Barack Obama lined those agencies with all kinds of people that were in his nest egg. He put more Muslims in power than had ever been in the history of our country. And I'm not being a bigot or racist by saying it. It's a it is a fact, people. And all of that happened under that eight years, all those scandals, everything that took place, and then uh, Trump came in and had to correct it. That's kind of what we were faced with. And then the country started, as you say, make America great again. That offended the left. And really, the key to this whole thing, Wallace, would you agree, isn't going to be the Marxist left. And it's going to have to be, again, what we have to appeal to here. And what I always tell listeners is to bring a friend in. And bring a friend in that's an independent, a moderate, left of center, a JFK Dem, something like that. Those are the people we need to convince to save America, don't you think? Absolutely. We need to reach out to those Democrats that are what you would have called a Democrat. I, I, my parents' age, when I was a kid, the difference between a Democrat and Republican is really about how much regulation we needed, how much free, how much the free market could handle on its own and, and, and things like that. The idea of not having a free market was completely foreign to many Democrats. And when I look at a lot of older Democrats, my mom, I have had a conversation with her uh, during the election where I mentioned Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and just how crazy she is. And my mom said, well, don't be such an alarmist. You know, she'll learn. And I said, well, maybe she should have learned before she ran for office. Now, you don't elect people on the hopes that, you'll, that they'll learn. You elect people based upon what they have learned. And, and I think there's a lot of room to reach out. I think a lot of Democrats uh, are moving to Florida, for example, from New York. And according to Ron DeSantis, they're registering as Republicans when they get there. So we are seeing people that are fleeing these Democrat hellhole cities with the exploding crime rates. And some of them are recognizing that what they were believing in and what they were voting for just doesn't work. And, and these are people that aren't on board with the progressive left, the hard left's vision. And absolutely, we can reach them. I think yeah. this, is a, this is the biggest opportunity for conservatives since Ronald Reagan. Oh, I like what you say right there. Listen to what he just said. Well, I want to come back to what you said. This is the biggest opportunity for conservatives since Ronald Reagan. Is that what you said? That's what I said. I should actually say since Jimmy Carter. I think that Joe Biden is the, the new Jimmy Carter. A complete failure, a train wreck as a president, and uh, very easy to expose. Now, all Ronald Reagan had to do to win an election is point at, at Jimmy Carter and say, you know, look at this guy. He gave Iran to the Ayatollah. He's completely destroyed the Middle East. He's completely destroyed our economy. Stagflation, you're paying 30% in your house. Now, all he had to do was point over at Jimmy Carter and say, you know, this is your alternative, guys. It's either me or, or more of this. And I think we're going to be in the same boat here. We're going to see stagflation. We're going to see rampant government spending, destroying rather than solving yep. problems. Everything that is that, that they're doing is going to make things worse. And so I think the next Republican just has to point over at Joe Biden and say, you know, I'm not with him. How much of a danger in your mind is critical race theory in this whole process as the third prong in this thing, Wallace? Well, the critical race theory is uh, an attack on the structure of the United States. When they talk about systemic racism, what they're saying is that the United States was founded as a white supremacist nation, uh, that the structures of the United States were created to perpetuate white supremacy. So when we talk about, for example, the form of justice that we have, everybody being innocent until proven guilty and what have you, our court system, the whole concept of presumption of innocence, they say that's white supremacy. The, the, uh, the whole concept of, 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 of defunding the police, the concept here is 
that if our criminal justice system is entirely based on white supremacy, then the police is the enforcement arm of that criminal justice system. They are the enforcers of white supremacy. To the to the Democrat, there's no difference between a police officer and the Klansman. There are certain things, certain hot buttons right now, and that's one of them. Uh, the woke, the cancel culture, the critical race theory. These are things that are changing the way people think. Uh, they're, they're really major societal cultural uh, challenges and issues, but they're really politically charged is what they are. And uh, so these devices are being used to uh, keep uh, to pit American against American. And that, that's the problem we really are having here. Uh, we are speaking with Wallace Garneau here uh, today, my fellow Americans. And um, uh, we're talking about this, uh, really a lot of these false flags that are remaking America. But there are some answers that I want to talk to you about. So here's what I'd like to do. Let me give you the roadmap to today here. Wallace will join us a little bit later in the program. And he has another piece out, which I think is terrific. And you'll love the title of this one. Stopping the federal government. Doesn't that get you excited right there? <laughs> Stopping the federal government expansion through nullification, right? So that's something we want to talk about. I want to talk about this nullification. You should be aware of what the word is, what it means, and how we, uh, how we utilize it uh, to make a difference. And this is very interesting. He mentioned an opportunity. It is an exciting opportunity, actually. Uh, he mentioned since Jimmy Carter, and there, there's a great point to that. Uh, here's what I'd like to do next. Yeah, I want to bring an interesting gentleman in here, I really like this guy coming up just a moment. We spoke to him a few days back here. Uh, Bernie Jacques, remember, he's an appointee uh, for Governor DeSantis, uh, is what I, of the Judicial Nominating Commission, very interesting fellow. I want to continue on with his false flags and, and, and build this uh, a big uh, point here of the trouble we're in. And then we'll get to a conclusion and talk about some of the answers just ahead. I'm going to ask you to stay right there, my fellow Americans. We'll take a pause and we'll see you just back on the other side here. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back to Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, and this is such a big conversation today, uh, my fellow Americans, and uh, thank you for being here with us. And uh, Bernie Jacques is here, back with us here now. Uh, he is a uh, governor to San the state of Florida. He's an appointee to the Judicial Nominating Commission there. Uh, terrific. Uh, former prosecutor running for the Florida House of Representatives, uh, District 66 in the state of Florida. So that's kind of central. You heard us talk up front with Wallace about DeSantis. He's one of those uh, people that is very, very interesting uh, as a governor that's pushing back on the federal government. Uh, and we're seeing that more and more. We can continue to bring his name up because he, you know, a lot of these people, which is part of the process we'll talk about a little bit later in the program, uh, some of these states are going to have to push back to the feds and say, you know what, that's enough. You know, you're, you're gone too far because they really are violating the Constitution. You know, I, a lot of times I, I was telling listeners, too, we're not really a United States of America at all. We are about as divided as we will ever be. Uh, and really, it's, you know, you've got the Marxist left taking over that party and you've got the Republican Party that is as odds as well. You've got the a lot of those in there that are not agreeing with the conservatives and the movement there. So you've got you've got distrust in both parties and both are being challenged to the Hill right now. With this red America and a blue America, and when you've got a governor like a DeSantis who's pushing back, talk about that a moment. Let's let's give people a sense. Here you are, you're an up-and-coming political guy, an attorney. Um, where do you see this happening? Because you know there are, I mean, there are a few options we have in front of us right now. You know, people start talking. You know, we're in a heap of trouble when they start talking words like Marxism, a civil war, and then you've got some of the problems we talked about up front in the program, like critical race theory and uh, all this activism that's happening. What about the red and blue America? And what about um, this pushback and the potential of nullification being a real uh, ace in the hole? with the federal government. And for, do you think the federal government's out of control? <laughs> well, first of all, Malcolm, thanks for having me on. And yes, the federal government is absolutely out of control and it has been for quite some time now. Uh, what we're seeing right now is, uh, to your point, we, we are divided, unfortunately, as a country, and it did not have to be this way. It became this way because we literally have politicians and um, ideologues in this country who benefit and profit off division and I'm talking about the Marxist left, that's actually become mainstream. It used to be just a segment of the Democrat party, but now it's becoming more mainstream in a situation where you're seeing uh, people like Biden and, and all these um, <laughs> old retreads are literally following the lead of AOC and the squad and the Talibs and the Omars of the world. And, and, and that is a symptom of where that party is right now. And this is an ideology that really does seek you know, to disturb and divide um, the American public, and they're, they're doing a good job at it. And so the states must push back because when the federal government is so out of control, and the reason why uh, it's an issue because we've allowed the federal government to grow and grow and grow um, in the modern era. It used to be that the federal government was something in the background, it was very innocuous. You know, People lived their lives without you know, wondering what was happening in Washington. It really didn't matter to them unless there was a war or a big national event. But now it seems like in our everyday lives, everything that happens in the committee room in Washington is going to affect us. And that, that is not how the founding fathers intended it to be at all. And so we're going to need to push back. The states are going to need to start exerting their mm -hmm. inherent powers. Because um, as you know, Malcolm, I mean, the federal government was created by the states, not the other way around. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. the states who relinquished, you know, some 
some, some, some powers to a centralized government for specific enumerated things that are listed. And, and anything else extra is reserved and left to the states and the people, which is what we see in the 10th Amendment. Mm. So get it. Um, that is so well said. Um, in Florida specifically, uh, let's touch on this critical race theory a moment. Governor DeSantis, who's out in the front of many of these uh, rogue policies and socialist ideas that are being shoved down Americans' throats. And he's a governor that uh, definitely pushes back. And right now, we, we have seen him do that in real time with critical race theory. In fact, right after he did, by the way, he's, I believe he was the first in the country, I, uh, pretty sure. But right after him, it, I do know for a fact, Texas did it. Abbott in Texas said, yes. well, they've outlawed it. And other states are now falling to say, well, you're not having that here. That You can take that and take it. So <laughs> that that is sort of a forum of what we're talking about, where they're pushing back, which is really sort of a nullification. It's when they say to the federal government, you've overstepped your bounds and we're not having it. And it's not really, as I understand it now, help me on this because you're an attorney too. Uh, and that's a great thing. Uh, so what? it's not like, okay, it's not like they're suing the federal government specifically. They're right. just creating their own mandate and saying, this is our state. Well, what? The, see, this is what's so beautiful about it. We are 50 countries in one, 50 United States, 50 United yes. countries in one. See, Americans don't get that, Bernie. They don't get that. A lot of people right. lost sight of it. They don't understand that. But so talk about the CRT, DeSantis, what happened? Why that's so important, please, as a model for the country? Sure, it's very important. Uh, Governor DeSantis is doing exactly what, what I described, where states are uh, reasserting um, themselves and, and regaining and reclaiming um, their inherent powers that, they, that they've had all along, according to our Constitution. There are certain things we didn't, if it's not listed in the Constitution, um, we didn't give it up. And so to your point, yes, we are 50 individual states um, who, who, who gave up limited powers, limited powers to the federal government. So here's what DeSantis is doing. He's pushing back on a lot of fronts. Uh, when it comes to this critical race theory, you're seeing guidance and basically um, what they want to be mandates from the federal government, the Biden administration, uh, to teach uh, this very divisive and destructive uh, curriculum known as critical race theory that teaches uh, youth to... Um, hate their country and to hate each other. And Governor DeSantis will not stand for it. He said in Florida, we're not going to be teaching that in our schools. And he even went a step further because he knows the left can be very creative. And we saw it under Common Core, right? Even though um, states would outlaw Common Core, but it would reappear under a different name, right? And so DeSantis even said that. He was like, hey, it may come up under a different title, not called critical race theory. And the state may have to play a game of whack-a-mole but we're going to be in it for the long haul. We're going to be in the fight to make sure that however it appears, however it rears its ugly head, we're going to make sure that critical race theory is not taught in our schools here in the state of Florida. And, and to your point, that's a distinction between, we see states all the time that sue the federal government when states believe the federal government has overstepped uh, their authority. Um, this is not a lawsuit. This is simply saying we're not following it uh, because uh, especially education, is within the purview of states. It always has been. There is no um, uh, clause in the Constitution, um, no article that, that, that gives the federal government the right um, to 
uh, put mandates when it comes to education. That is strictly a state function. And Ron DeSantis is simply saying that we're going to do just that. We're going to follow the Constitution and you can shove your uh, critical race theory, but it's not happening here in the state of Florida. So why do you think the federal government uh, in recent times now, they've come out and insisted their policy is they want CRT to be the law of the land. They're pushing out on all the states to make it or and what they're doing is if you don't take it, they're threatening to cut the funding of education, which I think would be a beautiful thing. We should all the states should tell them what to do with their education and cut it from their budgets and run education back at the local level. You do, federal government needs to get the hell out of education. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's- I do, I do. Okay, I took a <laughs> shot. That's what I think, that's what you think. All right, Absolutely. So, so then tell me, yeah, they've overstepped all of their bounds. The Department of Education needs to be re- relinquished and gone and done and put 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 a fork in it. Um, why do you think, tell me what's your real reason as a, as a strong black conservative voice yourself as a great American, Tell me, what do you believe in your heart of hearts, Bernie, is the reason the federal government is pushing this mandate of critical race theory when we know it's littered and and wrapped in such hateful rhetoric, uh, racist rhetoric at that? What do you take out of this? I think it's by intention, uh, Malcolm. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is the current Democrat Party um, these, as I call them, these woke cancel culture progressives, um, they benefit of this type of tactic, right? Because this is a curriculum that really adds to the division. What it does is it will automatically make you feel if you're a black child, you will automatically feel like you are a victim. And if you are a white child, you automatically are put in the oppressor category. And so what this does is it creates a situation where you know, you're a young black child, you feel victimized and you are, you think you cannot achieve certain things. And so when you are in that position, who do you go for help? I mean, you don't go for help for the party that says that's preaching self-reliance and, you know, picking yourself about the bootstraps and, 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 you know, reaching the American dream, you, you run to the party that says I can take care of you. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so it creates basically uh, a clientele, you know, for what they're selling because the people who are more prone to go into the left's um, ideology and to subscribe to it are the people who feel as if they are victims, as if they need a savior from a big centralized government um, to come save the day and to provide them um, things and to offer protection from the quote-unquote oppressors. And then what it also does as well um, among our white students, it creates what, what is known as this, this concept of white guilt, <laughs> where people are guilty about things that they've they never committed or, or, you know, or even their ancestors never committed. And, and, and somehow they're supposed to feel very guilty and that informs policy, that informs the way they vote, that informs the way, um, how they spend their money and, 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 and how they want society to be shaped. And so it's, it's a clear power grab, I think, from the most nefarious of them uh, in the Democrat party. And if we're, if we're not careful, I mean, these are the type of things that chip away over time, over time. And by, and, by, and by a certain time, you look back and it becomes too late. And so that's what I think is going on here. I think it, it fits in the strategy of them to divide and then ultimately reshape and fundamentally transform this nation. Is the Democrat Party a cancer to the Black American community? Well, I think the facts bear that out. I mean, you, you, you don't need to go any further than any um, inner city 
here in the United States where you see Democrat rule for 50 plus years in a lot of these places when they haven't seen a single Republican mayor in 50 plus years. And, and what do you see? It's still the same issues, high crime, high poverty, uh, low literacy rates. Uh, I mean, sky high out, out of uh, um, uh, birth, uh, out of marriage uh, births. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things that contribute to the decay of a, a community. And these things are not done by accident. These things are done by policies, right? Because I mean, certain policies set the framework on how communities can thrive and, and live. And so you have the situation where these Democrats, they depend on the black vote, but they take it for granted because of the high percentage that they always get. And so they never have to really deliver for that community because they already have them locked in as lockstep. And so they can continue to you know, have these communities erode and decay and face no consequence for it. Mm-hmm. But they can come around every election cycle and say, we're the ones who are not racist. In fact, they have a new term, not anti-racist, we're anti-racist. And we're the ones, you know, who, who are going to save the day uh, and, and protect you from those conservatives who are the oppressors. And, and unfortunately, th- that, that's what's occurring right now. And, it, and it's quite a shame. But you look at their policies. I mean, these are the same people who refuse to give, you know, the parents that do want to take initiative in the Black communities and to have a better life for their children. They don't even want to give those parents the right to have parental choice in education <laughs> where they send their kids to school. You know, they have this unholy alliance with the teachers' unions to keep these kids at these spelling schools in these terrible neighborhoods yeah. where conservative policies are coming in and saying, you know, you can have school choice. We want to empower you as a parent to, 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 to send your kids to the, kid, to the school that best fits them. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're cutting taxes and we're bringing in investments to a community. We want to fund our police to keep the community safe. Because we know the people who are going to be victimized are the very same people the Democrats they think about, uh, care about, right? Yeah, and yeah. so when you when you when you, you you simplify it to these terms, it's clear that one party truly does not care uh, for the plight of the Black Americans, and and that party is clearly the Democrat Party. They they don't care. Yeah, yeah, and, and yet ninety uh, percent of the Black American community vote Democrat. That's correct. That's it's, I mean, it's, it's which, unfortunate. Which a guy like you, that's got to keep you up at night. I mean, that's you. You got to be thinking yourself. You know, it's a great American yourself, as an attorney and someone who understands as intellect and run of you know run of office now as an appointee that you know bright future. You this has got to be the most. Cons- this is really got to be so destructive. I mean, you. I can't imagine. It's it got to tear you apart. Sure. No, it, it absolutely does. And what I will say, Malcolm, is especially during the last uh, four years or so, President Trump has actually Amen. done the best of, of, of any modern uh, Republican um, yeah. uh, elected official uh, yeah. and candidate and, and bringing out those issues and to invite you know, Black Americans to the fold and to actually push through policies that benefit Black Americans. It's no... Um, coincidence that he did better with yeah. black votes than than the previous nominees of McCain and the Romneys of the world, yeah. um, and the people the, the the people the left loves to praise. You know, did, did not do as as much as President Trump did. You know, for Black Americans, um, not only in policy but in outreach 
and yet they paint him as some kind of a racist. Um, but I think a lot of people are waking up to it. You have this whole movement called the Blexit movement, where a lot of uh, blacks are coming out and saying, you know, I don't have to be Democrat just because I'm black, and I, I and I want to see what the conservatives have to offer. And you are seeing it in a lot of different segments, um, whether it be in entertainment, um, among the youth. So there is a, a there is starting to be in a, a, a movement, um, little by little. And these people, you know, <laughs> pray for them because they take a lot of heat, you That's know, right. stepping out. Um, right. But I think I think a lot of people are opening up their eyes uh, to the lies uh, that the Democrat Party have been pushing for decades. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Trump's policies uh, that uh, Bernie's talking about are uh, historic. Uh, to it, with the uh, jobs and unemployment, the, thing, the numbers that happened on his watch uh, for all groups of Americans were historic in nature. And we had never seen numbers like those before. And so that was a clear indication of the work he had been doing. He also had a heart, uh, Bernie, and he was very compassionate to uh, thy fellow man. Uh, yes. I, I look at Trump as somebody for the the underdog, for for the rest of us. That you know, the yes. re- you know, you know what I'm saying. The rest of us, you know. Yeah. I mean, who really look beyond all the nonsense and just really want to live a quality life with our families and friends and and you know, build this thing and be, be something, uh, you know, life. It's beautiful. Um, and to embrace it, you have a big career ahead of you. You, you will eventually, you probably be a United States Senator or United States Congressman or something <laughs> else. If you want it, I would imagine, you know, or, or, maybe you'll, or maybe you'll be the governor after DeSantis. If you want that, who knows? You'll be a terrific governor. You'll be a terrific uh, governor. You're right? very kind. I, I just want to serve my state, uh, and help the current governor push back against um, yeah. uh, the federal government overreach and, and to keep our state free. I mean, we that, need a guy like you. Young, yeah, no, young guy like you. Uh, what about president number 47? That would be Bernie Jacques. I could see the lights on that now. Oh my Bernie Jacques, number 47. We'll take it back right there. And uh, oh, the, ne- the next guy. Well, hey, listen, I'll be your campaign manager. How's that, brother? Okay. I, I guess across the finish line here. Uh, Bernie Jacques, I'll tell you what. Thank you, brother, for being here. You're, you're just a Terrific. Uh, let's uh, let's connect in the days ahead here, uh, uh, for sure. Here, I really appreciate you. Uh, we need actually people like that and voices, uh, commandant voices, and people who have a, a handle, a grasp on the facts, and uh, to run for these seats. And it, it, you know, all politics are local. They start at that local level. That's how you. W- what we're talking about here today. That's what it's all. That's where the power really is. The power base is with we, the people. That's the message out of this moment today. I want you to understand, my friends. Please, please understand that. Please. We, the people. That's why it starts off that way. It doesn't say we, the federal government. Doesn't say that, people. I didn't. I never read that in there. We, the federal government, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't say any of that, see? But it is we, the people. You see? It was all about that more perfect union, which the idea of folks coming together. Uh, and with like-mindedness uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to preserve the sanctity of life and our liberty. We fall so far from that, right? So today we're talking about, again, how to, how to reconnect all this. And, uh, and I promise you up front, we were talking to uh, Wallace Garneau, and we talked about uh, this possible potential of nullification, which we just touched on with uh, uh, Bernie Jacques as well. We're going to get back to a very interesting piece now. I think I'm looking forward to having this conversation uh, to find out what the roadmap is ahead. Uh, because again, there are there are just several options on the table here, friends, and we've talked about those options here already. Uh, and I mean, it really is. You hear the words, you know, you really don't want a civil war in this country. Although there are times where we think we're headed that way, right? 
But I mean, what are the options really? If the federal government is out of control, as they are, well, then you have to look at how, how can you take it back? How can you take the power back? And that that's the bigger conversation we're having here today. So uh, hang around. Hour two is coming up in just a moment here. And uh, thank you as well, always being with me on the mission here. Time, it's time, my fellow Americans, to get involved and get loud. and soul of a nation beckons the call the voice of our forefathers heard in the distance a house divided against itself cannot stand to reclaim our honor honor our soul the challenges of a generation call out future generations hang in the balance we choose liberty this is the voice of a nation the nation the nation the nation and now malcolm our enemies are not abroad. They are not really the biggest danger to our country. It's not going to be Russia and China and Iran and some uh, you know, terrorist movement. Uh, we can deal with these kinds of uh, enterprises, these kinds of adversaries, enemies, uh, whatever they may be. Uh, but it is here at home. It, the damage and destruction to our country is going to happen inside the doorway here. It's like in you know, the old movie, Inside the House, who was in the house? The killer was already in the house. That's what's happening here. And all the things that are happening in society now, all these things uh, in the name of goodwill, by the way, right? Goodwill, uh, open borders, terrorists coming in, people, because we're compassionate, because the lady uh, in the harbor has that, that, placket that was bought after the fact for a donation to raise some money. You see that, that the whole send me your tired masses, your people who need a handout, all that kind of thing, which the Marxist left love. And I've talked to you before about Lady Liberty. I, I tell you what, I, I'd like to take Liberty, I'd like to take that placard off of Lady Liberty at the very least, cut it up, ship it, send it back to France if we have to. Uh, at this point, I don't know. I'd, I have a whole bunch of ideas for the statue I'd put in there. That's a conversation for another day, though, isn't it? <laughs> of a New York Harbor. But really, it's gotten us into a lot of trouble because of this whole note of compassion. It's not compassion, people. It's called sink the ship. It's like that battleship game you played when you were a kid. Just play, pushing the ships around and the rest of it to sink the opponent's ship. It's, what, it's to sink America. It's what it is. The, none of this is really under the word of compassion. I mean, uh, you have to understand. And so so I think our biggest enemies are here at home, something we need to pay attention to. A lot of the false flags that we're experiencing right now uh, in this historical moment of time, including the Capitol, uh, the January 6th incident as well was another one. Uh, you know, the fact that all those doors were left open and they were, come on in. It's like, you know, you're invited. Come on in, have a sit down. Yes, you know, cameras are rolling, you know. Um, somebody shoots somebody in the head. Nobody knows why. Uh, but, you know, the, it was the MAGA people, the MAGA people, you know. And, of course, all your media, your Marxist media were there to capture the moment, to point something out that really was never true. And, you know, then there's always a part of the the BLM and the Antifa. They're, their name comes up no matter what's going on anywhere. You You hear those Marxist groups that come into play there. It's no hidden secret what they're up to and what their agenda is. 
And then as we talked about the other day, you see the federal government come out and say, yeah, 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 with the year anniversary of Floyd, let's get everybody to uh, put as many BLM signs up as we can. That's what the Biden administration wants. Well, if you go look at the website at BLM, it tells you that they're a Marxist organization. So now they're supporting Marxist organizations. I mean, it's right out in the open, people. So you don't have this stuff is not hidden anymore, I'm telling you. You don't have to make this stuff up. And you don't need theories to figure things out. You just got to look and connect the dots here. So it's, it's really relatively simple. So when you do all that, then you see, you know, what's what's really going on here. And I think that's what has a lot of people tremendously and truly concerned in our nation. They see the trouble we're in. And the only saving grace is how do we fix it? How do we fix this moment in time? Because again, years from now, this is a moment they're going to look back at. And we're judged by all of this right now. That's the turn. That's this is the that fork in the road. This is that Robert Frost poem. Do we go that way or that way? This is it right now. That's what's happening. That's the historical moment in time I talk to you about all the time. You see, that's it. So let's talk about some answers, some ideas here. And, uh, the, you know, the, there are several ways we started. Uh, and a good way to preface this is this, you know, Back through some of the Trump years and even in the Obama years and all of that, there was a lot of talk at the water cooler about a civil war. I started hearing that a lot more out there, a, a civil war. And, you know, some people, they, they take a phrase or where they beat it to death. But uh, you, you just started hearing it more. People were becoming unglued. We've seen the, the Second Amendment was being uh, and every time there's another shooting somewhere, some lunatic uh, loses his you know, uh, ability to be uh, rational and goes crazy berserk. Uh, the left uses that in some capacity to uh, assault uh, your rights, your liberties, your constitution, which is clear what they're up to. I mean, it's obvious people. Um, I mean, you know, it's, you know, the, the whole secret to this people, no matter how many shooting incidents there are and how many people are killed, um, you know, uh, bad people and people who have screws loose and people who are mentally challenged don't follow laws. You, do you, did you get that, that news bulletin? They don't follow laws. So you can put all the legislation you want out there till the month of Sundays come home. It's not going to change anything. If somebody wants to do evil, they're going to do evil. And there are many ways they can do evil. So listen, comes back to a tyrannical government. You get my point? And a tyrannical government and what that Second Amendment is for. So just remember that over there as they continue to push this other narrative, again, under the guise of compassion. It's all compassion. Right? It's all compassion. That's where we're at, people. So you either have a violent overthrow of the government all right, which is a civil war, or maybe it's not a civil war. It's a, uh, we would go after the government. Civil war was different when we were fighting with each other, red and blue. We're still fighting with each other. We never did fix that, did we? I mean, we never did. Uh, now it's a little different war. It really is the federal government. Well, it's back to, well, it kind of is. I mean, it's back to where we we had the whole, uh, 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 the, the initial fight to found our union. It brings it back to the early days of the uh, find, uh, the founding of the United States and our fight with the UK, with Britain and our independence uh, because of big, bloated, expensive government to control your life and charge you, tax you and what have you. And we threw a tea party in the Boston Harbor and decided we were going to be independent of that. Um, I wonder at this point almost, is it ready for that sort of a thing? I've referenced that all the time. So you, you've either got a, a, an overthrow of the guy, even saying those words, 
you can see people would take what you say. So my God, is that what you're suggesting? You know, we'll send this in and get the FBI after you or something. Right. I mean, it, it, that's how the cancel culture and the, the, uh, the, 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 these people operate. They, they want to come after you. Or you have a convention of states, uh, you know, which would, is supposed to be constitutional and, and, and uh, steadfast, but you think the federal government's going to go along with that? You see? Or you have this process of nullification, which is quite fascinating. And it comes back to understanding um, federalism and uh, uh, really the empowerment of the states and that really, we really were 50 countries, 50 little countries, 50 little different entities that became the United States of America. We're really not united anymore at all. I suggest we change the name of our country right about now to something else. I don't think it is the United States. That's, we gave that, I gave that up a long time ago, actually. That's not new for me. I, I, I told you that some time ago. Anyways, let me... I, I digress. Let me bring on Wallace Garneau here and let's uh, continue on here with this uh, con big talk we're having. I want to talk about nullification and get to some uh, the points here of all this. Um, Wallace, again, is a veteran of the Marines and Army, spent 23 years as e-commerce manager, IT manager, director of business systems. Uh, he's a writer, a political blogger, author of the book, The Way Forward, Lean Leadership and Systems Thinking for Large and Small Businesses. Be good if you could take that lean leadership of systems thinking for for government. That would be a good lean. That's got to be the book too. I don't know. You're probably not doing that one as book two, Wallace. But I think that's your recipe moving forward. Uh, the way forward: lean leadership and systems thinking for government. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can write that one or not. But uh, anyways, so you you see. Uh, this point I'm at here and trying to spell out this picture of, uh, well, it's a it's a picture of doom and gloom a lot, but it's a picture of reality. You mentioned up front in the uh, early part of the program that it really is an opportunity, probably the biggest opportunity we have since Jimmy Carter. Now, that's an interesting way to look at this thing. And we have people that would also agree with you on that point that sometimes you have to get to the pain point and you have to really feel it hurt before you can turn it back on and say, okay, all right. We can fix this thing, and this is how we do it. In other words, you got to get people's attention, uh, and that's kind of what we're doing here. Let's talk about those three ways, and I want to give you the floor to talk about these three different ways. You've got this violent, let's, I mean, really, violent overthrow of government, convention of states nullification. Quite honestly, I, I think a lot of conservatives really feel, still feel, that we're headed to a confrontation of the likes we've never seen, which you could call that whatever you want, some sort of a civil war. It's going to look a little different than today than it would back then. It looked in 1860, 61, you know, 62, right? What do you think? Well, there are really there are really four ways that you could try to address it. One, obviously, is a violent overthrow of the government. And, and for obvious reasons, I don't want to advocate doing anything like that, particularly when there are still peaceful means on the table. Well, what Another if there's one, not? What if there's not? Well, at some point, you know, I swore an oath to protect our country or defend the Constitution, specifically of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. If that means a violent overthrow of the United States government, then that's a violent overthrow of the United States government. And there are a bunch of other Marines. I think the last number I heard was something like 13 million. That right. would, many of them would, would go along with me. Right, right. Because what if back in the day, we they looked at themselves and think about, and I thought about this, Wallace, already, what you said there. Because as patriots, we think, what does that really mean? Is it patriotic to do that? I wonder. Now, back in the day, 
do you think they all looked at each other and, you know, debated that way and said, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. It's not the right thing to do. Maybe we should go along with Britain. Let's go along with the uh, with England uh, and we'll go along with King George. We'll just go along because it's the right thing to do. Right. The founding forefathers would have already overthrown this government. Keep going. Well, we've, we've gone so far beyond what our constitutional mechanisms are. I mean, we don't follow the Constitution. The whole concept of a, of, of, a, of a living document interpretation of the Constitution is that the Constitution doesn't really say anything, but rather nine Supreme Court justices, uh, five really, if you just look at the majority of them, will determine what the Constitution says at any given time based upon what they feel the Constitution should say. The whole concept of a living document interpretation of the Constitution is how can we ignore the Constitution? And our founding forefathers would never have stood for that. As soon as people started talking about a living document interpretation of the Constitution, that would have been the end of the show. The states would have started nullifying immediately. And if that didn't work, there would have been an overthrow of the government. I love the way you think that way, because I'm telling you now, that's one of my biggest pet peeves you just said right there is the Supreme Court. If we really think about this, and and this should rub everybody, this is an eye opener, what Wallace just says right there. I mean, if we really have a constitution, like he said, and if we're not really already overthrown, I mean, if we really had something that was what we say it is, how can all these decisions, if we're all looking at the same document, be 5-4, 5-4, 5-4? And then people say to me, well, do you think it, and I love this when people, and I just got asked this question recently, Wallace. They said, well, do you think the Constitution is, do you think the, oh, no, do you think the Supreme Court is political? I about vomited on my, my spit at that point. Is it, what? Of course, is that a real question? I mean, just look at all the decisions these people make. Yeah, it's it's got some. Uh, we're a little political. I mean, so that's isn't that the isn't that the core of the problem, right? The, I think that's a big problem. The Supreme Court, and I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. Well, it's an interesting problem to look at because I think that it's political in two different ways. I think it's political on the left because the Supreme Court justices on the left don't believe in the Constitution and don't want the government limited by it. As a consequence, they're openly political. And I think Supreme Court justices on the right want to avoid being having the appearance of being political. and They become so anti-political that they become politicized, <laughs> trying to appease the left in order not to look political. It's a, it's a system for failure. Having them interpret the Constitution is an absolute nightmare. It's a system set up for failure, and there's no check against them. And yet we go around saying, uh, this is the best. Uh, And I love when people say, this is the best. best." And we want to believe that, but what you say right there, it's a system for failure. Well, think about this, and why is it a system for failure? Well, here's why, Wallace, because these are appointees from Democrats and Republicans. You've got two political power structures that are at each other's face all the time. Um, they, they just can't, they don't get along and they're never gonna get along. And they appoint the people who they wanna have in there. And it's always the pat on the back. Okay, you're gonna represent us. So it's like a baseball game or a football game, depending on what analogy you like. You be the red team, you be the blue team. Right, right, Wallace? That's what we're talking about here? That's exactly how it ends up working. And it was never supposed to be that way. Nowhere in the constitution does it say that the Supreme Court interprets the constitution. It gives them the power to interpret laws under the constitution, but it says nothing about the Supreme Court interpreting the constitution itself. All right, let's get to the next one, the Convention of States. 
The problem with the Convention of States is that it's got the same problem that the Constitution of the United States has. There are actually two problems. One is that if the, if, the, if the government's going to ignore, the federal government is going to ignore the Constitution, why wouldn't they just ignore whatever the Confederation of States or the Convention of States comes up with? Matter of fact, I don't think they would recognize the Convention of States as legitimate. I think they would say, no, you can't do that. We don't recognize legitimacy of that process, no matter what the Constitution says, because we don't follow that anyway, and we're just going to ignore you. And even if it did somehow come up with a document that was better than the Constitution, which I don't think is possible, and we were able to get it enforced for a while, the first problem of having, uh, of having creep based upon who interprets what the rules are, what the new Constitution is, that doesn't solve that. You have to solve the issue of who gets to interpret what this founding document means. Yeah. What do you think about this uh, Capitol riot, January 6th thing, after the fact, after the inauguration of uh, of Biden, the, the 46, um, where they barricaded all that time. They've just started to lighten, lighten some of that up, I'm understanding, but they barricaded, I mean, barbed wire, massive barrications everywhere, and they kept it in play to really, I mean, what, what message were they sending to America? A very different message than the ones they sent when Amy Comey Barrett was being was being nominated for the Supreme Court, or when Brett Kavanaugh was being nominated for the Supreme Court, and Democrats stormed into the Senate chambers, causing the Senate to shut down. They had to evacuate both those cases as well. And of course, that was a mostly peaceful protest, and people were just angry and demonstrating their civil right to protest. Republicans do it, and it's it's a completely different ballgame. It's almost like they're waiting for Republicans to do it so that they can use it as an excuse to attack Republicans. Now, I say all the time, Democrats don't believe in things like rules and laws, except to the extent that they can be used as weapons against the political right. They don't feel any need to follow them. They feel needs to use them to, to attack their political opponents. And that's the only purpose they see in things like laws and rules. Before I get to the, the really big moment and really explore nullification with you, which I think is uh, really quite fascinating, I, I want to ask you a challenging question that I'm not sure you have an answer for, but why are the why is the Marxist left? Why are they so much smarter or are they just better at execution? Why are they so much more on it when it comes to these kinds of things than the conservative movement in this country? I think there are two reasons for that. One, I think there's a lot of money behind them. I think that the Soviet Union built an entire infrastructure of, of, of making America Marxist, you know, spies and what have you, economic, all, all kinds of things. And uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, it's not like that entirely went away. That was right around the time that the, that the, the, the Chinese Communist parties began truly rising in economic yeah. power. They just kind of picked up that infrastructure and ran with it. So rather than looking at a, at a, at a Soviet model uh, right now, I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a push toward more of a Maoist or, or maybe you call it a Zionist model. Which is, which is a different thing. So that's one thing is that there's a lot of money, a lot of resources behind it. And China can also bribe us by saying, for example, with CNN, either we censor you, including what you're putting, in, what you're putting into the American media, or we're going to cut off your parent company from any access to our media market, which is a lot bigger than yours. And so they're able to do that too. So there's a lot of power behind it that, that the conservative right just, just simply doesn't have access to. And, and that's probably the biggest piece of it. Uh, what was the second part of the question? I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, well, it, it, I think you answered it right there. I mean, you answered it. So here's what I, here's what I want to do. Let me give you the floor now. Uh, and I want to talk about nullification. And I want you to explain this process now. So I want everybody to understand this. I want you to explain uh, how nullification would work. Because this gets into states' rights 
This gets into the interpretation of our existence. This gets into our entirely our constitution, but it forces the hand. Talk about that, please. Yeah, this actually addresses the root question of who is supposed to interpret the Constitution and how do we avoid a situation where five Supreme Court justices can just say, you know what, we're going to interpret this as something other than what it actually says. And the answer is you allow the states to interpret the Constitution. Uh, this goes back a long way. The first time nullification was used was all the way back in 1832 when South Carolina nullified what it thought was an unconstitutional tariff law. And they ended up winning. There was uh, Andrew Jackson threatened to invade, actually had Congress pass off the force bill, which authorized to invade. But at the end of the day, what ended up happening was Congress wrote another tariff act overriding the 1832 uh, tariff act. South Carolina looked at it. It addressed the issues that they felt were unconstitutional and everybody got along peacefully again. So we actually have one case of nullification historically working exactly as it's supposed to. Democrats do something very similar to nullification whenever they create a, a, a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state and just say, we're not going to allow the enforcement of immigration laws here. That's kind of like nullification, except they're not claiming that immigration law enforcement is unconstitutional. They're simply saying, I don't care if it's constitutional, we're not gonna let you do it. That's kind of similar to nullification. And we see states like Texas saying that we are going to, uh, we're, we're going to negate any unconstitutional violations of the Second Amendment. That is nullification. So what nullification does is it allows the individual states to look at federal law, federal overreach, federal policy, whatever it may be, and to say either, yeah, that's constitutional, cool, I guess we'll go along with it, or to say, you know what, you don't have that power under the United States Constitution, and so we're going to pass a law making it illegal to enforce it here. If one state does it, that's one thing. But there are 26 states right now that are run by, by, by Republican governors and Republican uh, legislatures. If all 26 of those states, or even just 10 of them, started radically using nullification to try to force the federal government back under its constitutional limit, uh, we would see radical change. We'd have to see radical change because I don't think that even Joe Biden certainly doesn't have the stomach, but I don't even think the real radical people on the left have the stomach to try to invade states. And, and particularly not when nullification is something that the founders believed in. It's a constitutional process. And really it doesn't, it's not like these states are saying we're not gonna be a part of the country again. All they're saying is this is what the constitution says. We have the power to interpret it, not the Supreme Court. And you're not enforcing unconstitutional things in this state. Yeah, It's basically the states telling, telling, the, the, uh, telling the federal government to go shove it when the federal government tries to do something it's not authorized to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I pay admission for that day for sure. Uh, how would the feds answer that back? Well, that's a good question, because one option would be to invade the state and try to force it to, to, to follow those laws. But I think that politically is, is unconscious. Or just ignore it? Well, the thing about ignoring it is that actually empowers the states because all of a sudden you start you start letting that ball continue to roll downhill. It picks up steam and states start saying, well, if I can nullify this, I can nullify other things. Maybe I can force the federal government to pass Social Security and Medicare back to the states so that we can run that however we see fit rather than having to take this one-size-fits-all solution. Maybe I can nullify the Department of Education. Maybe I can nullify many of the things that the EPA does that don't really cross state lines. So all of a sudden you start opening the door to more of that and you start normalizing that behavior. So I think if the federal government, I think Joe Biden would want to ignore it, but I think if the federal government yeah. tries to ignore nullification, you're actually giving more power to the states to nullify more things. And right. you're normalizing the process and making it look legit. You're, you're adding legitimacy to it and it should be legitimate. Very interesting. Yeah, I think they would ignore it. The, the whole point of legitimacy and what would happen, I don't really know. 
But again, if the states just take their power back, it's not like they need permission at that point, right, is what we're saying, correct? That's I mean, that's correct. And if the federal government decides that all they want to do is ignore it, then we all right. move to Republican-controlled states, <laughs> the Democrats move out of them, and we find out which way it works. Well, here's what I like about this plan, actually, is that, you know, oh, a couple of years ago, and, you know, I, I, the uh, I remember some conversations, Wallace, I was having with some very smart folks, and this, this was a series of times and there were people, and these were uh, constitutionalists and historians, and they really felt we were moving to a moment in our country where there really would be a red America and a blue America. So legitimately, if we were going to, in other words, the, the only answer they felt or one of the ways to prevent an actual physical violent civil war, uh, which is the last resort of anything you tried not to want or have, uh, but the only thing to do would be to... Uh, uh, have a red America and a blue America. So legitimately sit down at the table as ladies and gentlemen, like if this was even possible, right? And say, okay, well, listen, we don't, we don't want to play that game there. So why don't we separate these states here and we'll be this? Because we're really not the United States of America anymore, Wallace. Would you agree with that? I would agree that we're not very united. We're still under one banner, one flag, but we're not very united. Yeah, we're not at all. I mean, it's, it's, very would even be an understatement. We're, we're so at each other's throats, it isn't funny. I mean, it's like you, red and blue can't even stand each other. You can't even get them in the same room anymore. Well, the irony is the Constitution doesn't envision a red America and a blue America. It envisions a Michigan America, a California America, a New York America, a Florida America. If we followed the Constitution, we'd have 50 Americas. They'd all be bound together as one nation, but they'd be, you know, we used to say the sovereign state of so, yeah. such and such. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, the one thing the federal government could really try to do to, to fight nullification would be to deny tax dollars. So, for example, they pay a lot of money for education, a lot of money for roads. They could deny those tax dollars to the states that nullify laws. But the response to that is nullify tax laws. Good. We don't we don't want it anyway. Taxes. That's yep. right. Make it illegal to pay federal taxes and then you can fix your own roads. That's exactly it. You can have it. And we'll say, and then, which really brings it down to something even more practical, Wallace. Isn't the practicality of the federal government really just national defense? I mean, isn't well, I that what know. we really need them for? That's the primary thing. The purpose of the federal government is supposed to be to defend the liberties yes. of the people. And that's yes. it. So, so you know, interstate commerce, truly interstate commerce, but not, you know, they use that now as a catch-all. That's not what it was supposed to be. But you're not supposed to have states making, putting tariffs on other states and things like that. So there are other things other than just national defense. But certainly protecting the people's liberties is, is the whole point. That's exactly it. That, that's, that's exactly it. And that, that's what, where we've lost this thing. It's all a bit of a ruse is what's happening. We're getting caught up into this here, this ruse. Uh, people don't understand the power that's here within the states. It is a tremendous opportunity uh, for, for sure. Uh, but the red and the blue, again, back to ladies and gentlemen at the table and, you know, the power of the states and they take it back. The, the whole idea, I, I guess the here's really the catch all. Wallace, here it is. Uh, 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 this probably doesn't sound nice, but <laughs> when has that stopped me before? Right. Uh, but but it, here's the thing. Do you think any of these governors have the balls big enough to pull it off? Ron DeSantis does. Okay, who else? Anybody? We don't, we need more than one. Oh, uh, who was the governor in uh, South Dakota that 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 uh, that refused to? Chris Christie Nome. Yes. Yeah, Christie Nome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Governor of Texas. Abbott. 
Abbott would do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're uh, beyond it. that, I don't know, but I think okay. once three do it, it emboldens others. Right, right. Yeah, see, that's the thing. How do we get them all in line? You know, Ron DeSantis is first, right? It could be, could be. I mean, he seems to be pretty brazen, and people are talking about him as a president right now. But He's again, right, he does have courage, yeah. Or as I said, big, you know, and 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 not to be sexist, it could also be big ovaries, by the way. And I sometimes <laughs> talk that way, and I, that would be Christy Nome again. You know, that's who we're happy to. Well, we want to be equal, right? Want to be. Equal, She's got so. courage too. Yeah, I like that. Courage, courage. You call it courage. I, I tend to be a little more street talk, but uh, I, I like that. Um, so, I, I, so I'm thinking, okay, so if they stood up, yeah, I mean, that would be, you're really talking courage here. There it is right there, man. Courage. That's the word courage. All right. That's a better word. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have to keep it, ladies and gentlemen, but I like that actually. And you think about who's got the gutso to do that. And he says, DeSantis, fascinating. But now, all right, if we could get that 10 or that 15 or that 20 or whatever it is, here's what you do that have to be organized. So you have to have, someone's got to organize the thought process and we got to get to those people and get them in there and do it. And I guess a lot of people, it, would a lot of people, a lot of these governors, even Republican governors, they might look at this as a, probably a very radical move, wouldn't they? At first. Yeah. I mean, that they would radical until you do it. That's right. That's right. No, I don't see it as radical at all. I just I see it as a way to take our constitutional liberties and rights back. If it's radical, so is the Constitution. The Constitution was a very, very radical document at the time it was written. Our founders believed in nullification. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the power was always with the states and the power with. Listen, you're so right with what you just said. The power with our founders. Let's be clear, Wallace, was with we the people. Right. Absolutely. It always was. That was the deal. The whole document is we the people. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't start with the federal government, does it? Does it start that way? No. I, you know, the irony about all of this is that the person who went along with the Supreme Court getting to interpret the Constitution did not believe the Supreme Court had the power to interpret the Constitution. But when uh, Thomas Jefferson was sued for the for the Louisiana Purchase, which was just too good of a deal to, to not to take, uh, and, and based on him not having the constitutional authority to make that purchase, the Supreme Court said, yeah, he can do that. And he liked that decision, so he went along with it. But he didn't even believe that the Supreme Court had the power to interpret the Constitution. It was supposed to be the states. Yeah. And had it been the states, and he said, you know what, the Supreme Court doesn't have that power, that would have been interesting. Because the states can't nullify the creation of new states. Even if it was unconstitutional, there's nothing that an individual state or collective of states can really do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be very interesting. Do you agree with this? Um, so, okay, we got the 2022 midterms coming up here now. Um, right now, I, I'm getting the feeling, Wallace. Uh, tell me if you have the same feeling. I, I'm getting the feeling that we're at really kind of a moment of truth very shortly. I think they're ready to show their hand. He created this this group to study the Supreme Court. It's all a joke. Uh, he, he put a lot of leftists in there to give them some sort of uh, fodder that they want to take the fodder and then tell you what they're going to do. Uh, they now, Pelosi's running around with a mask that has Washington, D.C. with a 51 on there. Uh, we know in the 52 is Puerto Rico, 53 is Guam, uh, 54 is probably China. I don't know. But they're slowly but surely creating this whole other union. Uh, you've got the HR1. So now you've got, now let me just say, now you've got the reshaping of the republic. Now, how, do you think 
I mean, they know that they're either losing their grip. You know, sometimes, bef- uh, let me, how do you say this? Before you go down with your last gas, because I really think the Democrat Party is at the end of its existence. I still believe that. I still believe it, believe it or not. I'm still going to say it. I do. Both I believe there. Both I, I believe both parties are as well. I agree. We're with seeing you. we're seeing a realignment between the parties. Yeah, yeah, the Uniparty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree with that. And uh, I believe that. And I started reporting on this several years ago. The Democrat Party coming to that end of that existence. And I talked about opportunities if the Republicans get their head out of their backside somewhere. You understand that. And the conservative movement step up and control what needs to be done here. I've talked about that many times, but. I we're at that moment now where I think if the in other words, when when you're wounded, Wallace, or you're really hurt badly and you have nothing else to live for, you're going to live for your life and you're going to be as radical as you need to be in your life to save your hide. You're going to do anything you can. That's the way I look at the Democrat Party in many ways as a wounded animal. Surely, slowly but surely they are being exposed for who they are. And middle America is, I hope and pray, waking up. How quickly we wake them up has got to be the question. But those votes to come in here. Now, of course, they have the borders open. They have everything open to bring everybody in to override the whole system, create chaos, which is all what Alinsky talks about. And it's the whole strategy to dump this thing in the toilet real quick. I mean, these people are full. They went in and they turned the freaking faucet on. They got the hot water burning. It's like, let it loose, man. They're doing everything they can. So here's the thing. If we're at that moment of truth, brother, isn't that moment of truth right now? Because if we escape, if they don't part, pull some of those levers right now between now and 2022, I think 2022, they lose their grip in the Senate and the House. Talk to me. Well, assuming that we still have legitimate elections, I think you're right. I think that what happened uh, before was that the left unionized, not unionized, it unified itself around hatred of Donald Trump. So, you know, whatever you want to call that. And, and they stayed one party united, not because they had one ideology. There are clearly two ideologies in, in force in the political left now, but because they hated Trump so much, they were able to align themselves around that and they became the party of anti-Trump. Uh, I think that what we see happening right now is that the radicalization of the left and the, the, the allowance that the moderate left is giving the extremists is unifying the political right. And I think the political right really, you know, Mitt Romney's not a Republican. So we, we, we see the same kind of, of dualism within the Republican Party. What we really have are we have Americans that believe in liberty and justice for all. And we have Americans that believe in something else, some form of totalitarianism. And we're seeing a, a, a gradual shift where, where those are going to become, maybe they'll still be called Democrat and Republicans, but those become the poles of the party. But in terms of what's happening right now, the only way the Democrats have any chance of not being completely decimated in, in 2024 is if Donald Trump runs again and keeps them unified. If Donald Trump decides 78, I'm old enough, I'm going to back somebody else, uh, they're screwed. Mm, they're screwed. And they're, they're in trouble in 2022 anyway, because he's not on the ticket and he is the only unifying force they have. They're not one party without Donald Trump running. Mm. So you think it's more of a hazard for him to run in 24 than not? I think he can completely destroy the Democratic Party by backing somebody else. Mm, wow. 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 Mm, there it is. Wow. I like the way he said liberty and justice for all. You know, my antenna went up, don't you, when he said that just now? It is, right? That's our mantra here liberty and justice for all. He's so right. Mm. 
And you, you hear what he said by backing somebody up. I wonder, what do you think out there? You think, uh, I, I know a lot of you want Trump to run in 24, but you got to understand what Wallace is saying there. Fascinating. If he would, you know, and I often thought if he would get behind and create the new conservative party movement, I mean, let's face it, he's one of the, he's probably the most conservative president in our lifetimes. I think he's far more conservative than Ronald Reagan was. And I love number 40 uh, for a whole host of reasons. But I can't recall anybody right now in, in current time that was more conservative than him. And this was a former Democrat. But again, they always say when you're younger and have no brains, you're liberal and, and you're a Democrat. And as you get older, you get conservative, and you get brains, right? Is that what they say? I know I'm being being judgmental again or something, huh? But uh, wow, very interesting. You know, I love having these kinds of talks and exploratory uh, discussion points. And it's good with a guy like this even more so where you can learn something from him. Do you know that? You know, I mean, really, where you can, because, you know, we, we all don't need to come to this thing thinking we're a know-it-all, that we know it all. But I like a guy like this who studies it. And that's, I think, what Wallace does. Now, his book, The Way Forward, Lean Leadership and Systems Thinking for Large and Small Businesses, that get it from your bookstore uh, and get it from um, America Out Loud bookstore. Go to americaoutloud.com. On the right side, there's a narrow, narrow banner column right there. Go in there and the bookstore's all the way down and you just click the bookstore, go in. We sell a lot of books from that bookstore. Uh, a lot of books. Uh, people are going there and they're buying the books. And we and there are experts, guests we have on in our family of experts. Wallace is a writer. He's a weekly writer. writes a couple times a week, but he's doing some amazing stuff. He's got some great pieces on there. Look him up under team. Wallace Garneau, G-A-R-N is how you get that E-A-U. Uh, and you'll find more about him. Uh, I like what we just talked about in a big way. Um, the first time I had him on, and uh, it's kind of what we need is we need thinkers. We need people, again, that color outside the lines. This whole nullification thing is a coloring outside the lines sort of strategy, states' rights. But it really is very principally driven. And it's, and it's not radical, although it will appear radical when it's happened. You don't, you can, oh, God, can you imagine the media, by the way? Uh, wouldn't you pay money to see the media have a fit that day when this all happened? Oh, my God. Like, oh, this guy is what you talking about. That would be chicken little syndrome right there. That'd be a virus they'd have. They'd go ballistic. They, their skin would crawl out all over the, I mean, people couldn't handle this because that's their power trip. These people are all part of that power trip that they're on, you know, and, and hand feed and lies and dis mistruths and garbage to the American people. And too many sheeple are eating that stuff up. Uh, that's why we got to stop that. Listen, we got to get everybody back over at America Out Loud. We're doing the good fight there, people. It's it's a big fight. I mean, it's we are on the fight of good and evil. It's all about good and evil. And here it is again. We're talking good and evil. It's all back there at AmericaOutloud.com. You got to get over there. You got to check it out. I'm telling you, and get that word out there and and help us spread the word, liberty, and justice for all, from sea to shining sea. That's important. Listen, the other thing that's important I've been telling you about in recent days is Healthy Cell. I've been telling you about that as well. And I want to remind you, one of the products, uh, I'm going to stay right on it, Immunity Super Boost. Have you ordered it yet? What do you mean you haven't? Come on, what are you waiting for? Immunity Super Boost. It's because what's in there, it's all about our immune systems. If we have a healthy immune system, well, we're going to be ready for anything, any virus, whether it's COVID or otherwise, any flu, we'll be ready or whatever might attack you. You know, 
let's face it the human body is a is is, is a is a precious deal we we get one we get one of these one time one time around you've got to take care of it it's really important about lifestyle that's why i get out i walk four or five miles a day and stay healthy and meet people on the sidewalks and tell people hey how you doing smile you know we're living life right we're in the blessings of god almighty and we're living life it's what it's all about you know, so it is about lifestyle. I want to encourage you to have a healthy lifestyle. Get out, walk, breathe. No mask now. Never take your mask. Don't even do it. Then the pandemic, I didn't do the mask. It's a, it was ridiculous. Get out and breathe that beautiful air. Even if you're in a city, the smog is good for you. Breathe it in. Suck it up. Come on. Get out and exercise. Build your stamina. And take some healthy cell. And uh, so again, this uh, you, you've got to try these products out. Uh, our listeners get twenty percent off. By the way, you got to use out loud as the code. Uh, go to or go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud. You'll hear the message coming up in just a moment here. And uh, take do this for yourself. Not don't do it for anybody else. Do it for you, uh, because listen, we get one time to go around. Let's do it. And I need you here for the battle forward. We're going to fight these clowns and nullify. I can't wait for that day, man, to see the media have a conniption. Listen, we got more program coming up in just a moment. We'll take a pause, my fellow Americans. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation here. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc, and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called shoptotheright.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses, as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together, and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. 
it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. You know, the thing I want to remind you of right here, if we're going to fix fix these problems, we have to understand what they are, my friends. We have to understand. In order to come up with the solutions, and uh, so I think this nullification thing is something to look forward to. You hear Bernie Jacques talk about the CRT and how DeSantis pushed back. Uh, he's an appointee in the uh, state of Florida for the governor running for uh, state representative there. Should be very interested in that race and what he does. He's an up and coming uh, political figure. I kidded him. It's going to be president number number 47. Uh, but that would be great. Wouldn't it be great to have a great black concern? I would love to vote for a great black American because, man, I would be have just a joy and a smile from ear to ear on my face, grinning to to get the first black and someone that's total polar opposite of Barack Obama. I mean, like total t- like here's our man. Here it is right here. And boy, that could be a Bernie Jacques in a hot second. Kathy, I got to get you in on this conversation. Kathy, Bernie Jacques, number 47. Would you I'm vote? For, for would it. you vote for him? Yeah, you vote I, for him. You know I would. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. I I just love what he has to say. He he was uh, he he was about. I think when I mentioned that, he about he about fell on the floor, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. I don't think he expected that. But, he didn't expect that uh, <laughs> when I said I elevated him to number forty-seven already. Said, well, that's kind of. I'm just trying to get the state position right now. But you know, sometimes those uh, quiet unknowns that are really talented. He's a talented fellow too. You know. Uh, you, sometimes that quiet one can win a race like that in a big way and, you know, become a superstar, you know, he, and it got, would be great to show Americans what a true, uh, black president looks like. That would be amazing. He, opinion, he, yeah. he would be terrific. I would absolutely vote for him. Uh, what, you know, you know, what else would be interesting? Let me throw something else, but maybe that's jumping the horse. I probably should have said to him this, I probably should have said, you know what? Um, 47 will be DeSantis and you'll be his VP. Now that he would have went along with. You're right. DeSantis is getting a lot of national momentum, isn't he? Boy, he sure enough is. And one thing we forget, that big tech bill he just passed. That, to me, uh, is another nullification that Texas is is soon to follow, by the way. And so DeSantis has really led the pack on these pushbacks against federal. That's where he's empowering the people in the state of Florida, I understand, uh, to push back on big tech, allowing them to sue them and all of that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. He's setting the stage. If you get censored and, and, and all of this. All right. So uh, we, we've been talking about uh, these options, uh, Kathy, and they were basically and even uh, Wallace puts this in that piece 2.0, a rule of the hard left, a brilliant writer. Isn't he a brilliant writer? Uh, oh, my gosh. Now? And speaker. And speaker. He's terrific. Yeah. And um, so the first one is the uh, the violent overthrow of government, uh, which he says in his piece, just to be clear with everybody, I'm not advocating. But again, and, and I was being a smart guy or maybe a little smug when I said, uh, Kathy, not that I would ever be smug, but Kathy, when I said 
uh, that, you know, back in 1775, before the whole thing happened and we became it, uh, before that, uh, you know, like, it's not like they were exactly advocating it then either, but at some point, you know, it hits the fan and your whole life is at risk. And that's when the violent overthrow of the government being in England happened, correct? Yes. And one of the points that he made, I thought was really interesting when you guys were talking about is the Civil War even over at this point? And you had made mention about uh, the, uh, the red and the blue or they, you know, is this just a continuation? You know what? I It just struck me that back then it was all over slavery. Right. But the Dems are always people don't realize the Dems were the ones that were really on the side of slavery, as is today. They're on the side of racism, which they try to make it look like conservatives are the racist. But in actuality, it's exactly the opposite. So this might just be a continuation of a civil war about racism. Well, they're making it about well, they're making it about that for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it could in the way that they're using it as a divided mechanism, which is what we talked about earlier. It's a divide. But this is what they do is they divide all the time. And that's how if you're going to empower yourself, you've got to keep everybody on unbalanced. And you do that by dividing people. So when you divide people and pit people like if you divide as an example, Kathy, if you divide, uh, keep it division, heterosexual and homosexual, and you divide that you divide black and white, you divide male and female, me too, sexism. You see, all of these things are designed to divide the people, you see? Right. No question. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's their game plan. But that's how you keep people off balance. And then and then you empower yourself to be the answer. So it's like, you know, again, you're driving down the boulevard, you set all the houses on fire and then you have the fire hose to put it all out. Well, that's a descriptive of the Democrat Party. That should be their mantra or their mission. We set all the fires in the United States of America so that we can put, properly try to put them out for you. <laughs> Yes. Well, that, you know, I mean, it, when you think of slavery, that was a form of racism in a sense. And now today, exact what they're doing as well it, by keeping people on uh, all these welfare roles and, and keeping them uh, uh, tied down. Which is what Bernie said. Poverty, Bernie, Bernie right? said that. Uh, they're keeping people. I mean, they're 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 playing to that part of it. And I think everybody has to see that. And as I pointed out to Bernie Jacques, I mean, but still 90 percent of black America votes that way. Mm-hmm. And a guy like that who's running for office, he's got to be that's I mean, that's got to I mean, that that, that that's got to just really tear him apart. Uh, you know, very as a, frustrating, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, as a figure that's trying to make a difference and he's trying to get it right. And yet he's he's. Um, deal with a community, it really, it's got to come back to educating folks. It has to come back to, you know, power is with informing people and the power is with educating uh, and getting the truth out there. Uh, so people see it and they understand what we're talking about here. So if that's one of the ones, the violent of the third government, okay, the second one was the convention of states. These are the things we talked up front. If you missed this, friends, at the very front of the program, you want to go back and hear it on the Encore or on podcast, by the way, as well. Uh, but again, the problem with the convention of states is that, as he suggested, the federal government would just ignore it. Uh, they, they just wouldn't play to it because that's what they would do. And so whether that could work or not, Uh, But the nullification is workable in the fact that you don't need the federal government to do anything. 
you take your power back just like DeSantis is because you're really, like he pointed out to me, you're really not suing them. You're just putting your flag in the ground and saying, we own this land. This is not for you. This is for us. And you can't have it. And what are they going to do at that point? Send, send the federal troops in to shoot you? Well, it's interesting because I've heard arguments on both sides of that convention of the states and uh, some chatter that's going on out there. I haven't done deep research into it, but enough to believe that George Soros is all for convention of states, which is a head scratcher. Right. But one of the reasons now I'm seeing probably by uh, Wallace's explanation there uh, that it could easily be taken over by the left just as the constitution, or excuse me, SCOTUS could be. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm now seeing a much weaker argument for a convention of states, thanks to Wallace, for sure. Yeah, uh, well, the, the, the left hijack everything and they change, uh, the, which is what Bernie Jacques was saying, they're, they're terrific at packaging. Like he said, the, the governor was so incensed about the whole thing, DeSantis, his governor, uh, that uh, he went ahead and he said, uh, you know, no, 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 don't forget, they probably will call it something else because they're brilliant at packaging. So instead of calling it, you know, uh, critical race theory, uh, they'll put it under some other tent like they did Common Core. And, you know, again, like a lot of things they do, it never is what it is. It's always a smoke and mirrors game. It's what the left does. But people think about it. If you're going to if you're in a hostile takeover uh, into the American people, you're not going to tell them exactly that you're going to do exactly what they're doing. You're going to tell them the opposite. And they're brilliant salespeople is what they are all the way around. Now, some of these people have started to believe their own smell. And you think of these young people, uh, you know, uh, that are in that party uh, and the hard Marxist left that have hijacked that party, which we talked about. And you have to believe that some of the even people, I mean, they just they just begin to believe themselves, the, not, the nonsense I'm saying, uh, to the elders, the elders in the party, the people that have corrupted the party, the Schumers and the Pelosi's and the Feinstein's and the Clintons and all of those people that the Gores that corrupted the whole thing, you see? I mean, that's why they have fallen so far from grace uh, since JFK. I mean, JFK today, as we've said before, you all know he would be a conservative. He would run in the Republican party, clearly. I mean, a lot of these cats would historically because your Democrat party is Marxist. I mean, who the hell's a communist? Look at all our presidents, and we ought to do a, a show on that sometime to say, well, which one would be a possible communist? There are a few who got who were started to go down that road, and uh, you know, and get you to buy all these New Deals and Roosevelt. I mean, there, um, you look historically at some of these programs in the building of big government, the Feds, uh, and we become more and more of that. Uh, at what point do we say enough is enough? At what point do we say, uncle, you know, we, we've had it. I think we're at that point. I don't want to live in a world. I don't want to live in a country. And I don't think you do either that has taken on uh, the look, shape and feel and the stripes that this one has. I mean, we're being run now by cancel culture, woke, uh, mentally incapacitated people who can't get out of their own freaking way. I mean, we don't need these people to be You know, you want a Marxist, go go hijack a third world country somewhere. There are plenty of third world shitholes out there you can uh, uh, enumerate yourself with and uh, deal with it, you know? And they probably need a dictator or two as well. 
But that's not here at the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's not what the United States is based on. And we've fallen so far from our early founding principles of what this country was about. If you learned anything today, you've learned that much. You've learned from the people we've had on that, you know, our founding principles and our constitution, that was sacred, absolutely sacred. But it's not sacred anymore, people. I mean, the constitution, as Wallace was saying, that they're just abusing it badly. The Supreme Court is a joke. It's an absolute, I've been saying that for years. This isn't new. I mean, even well before any of this packing stuff, which I don't even know what they were talking about. But back then in the day, it was, I always, always said, it's a joke. You can't have a document that is supposed to be so prestigious as it is and continue to look and dissect it politically because you were appointed by a particular political party and come up with a five to four decision in all these major cases because it's rubbish. It tells me that they're looking at it and they pull it. Nobody wants to talk about this. And to me, it's where it's at. And then they politicize the whole constitution. And then they say, well, you, do you think the Supreme Court is political? What the hell are you talking about? Do you think it's not? When somebody asks you that next, turn the question around. Do you think it's not? Prove it. You can't look at that constitution. I mean, why do they all, because they tie it to their ideology. That's why. And that's why all these major cases of five to four, the Supreme Court's a laughing stock. And he had a great definition of that. Go back and listen to what Wallace said. It was fascinating. He blamed the left and the right. Appropriately so. And that's why the constitution, it's negated today. It's neglected. It's, it doesn't have the same value. It's lost its value. You know, it's like, like the market has dropped already on it. It's like, so what does that really be? You know, and then our adversaries out there are laughing at us about that because they knew that was our saving grace. That was our glue. That was the piece that kept this country together, the United States of America. That was it right there. And yet, what do we got? Now we have, we're trying to hold on to the threads of what the constitution is, the threads. Just hang on to the threads. You know, so we have something to preserve for the next generation. You know, we're really limping at this point, I'll tell you, this country is. And it's badly wounded at the moment. Uh, and so our job here is to fix it. Uh, yeah, AmericaOutloud.com. We're the voice of liberty and justice for all. We're on the front lines here. Wake up, people. Let's do it. Let's share the good word. Let's wake it up. Let's rock the boat. Let's rock it over, man. Let's nullify the deal. We don't like the way the union is going right now. It's time to push back the states, empower the states, empower the governors. We're like 50 countries. That's, that's uh, we the people. It's the way the framers developed this thing. It's, a, that's, it's designed this way by nature, by the natural forces of the framers and the founders. That is the American experiment. It's what we stand for. It's what we live for. It's what we die for. And that's why America still stands today, because people have laid down their life for that document. They lived down their life so you can have the opportunity to have this bitch session with me and gripe and complain and then go fix it. This amazing country that we're so blessed to be part of. We should never lose sight of that. I always look at this as a blessing, people, always. It is a beautiful thing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this. Now get over and help me do the hard work. Share the stories, share the shows. Invite some people into the program, please. Invite them to the network. It's time to get involved and get loved.